0: You're listening to All The Best, from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madura Prakash. This week, we're bringing you stories from the students at the Western Sydney University. The students have been studying the fundamentals of podcasting, giving them the expertise needed to produce their own podcast feature. Our first story involves a discussion about how the cost of living crisis in Australia is impacting young people both at the moment, and in the future.
1: We live in a third world country with a Gucci belt. I walk down the street, and I notice more tents on the sidewalk, more young people sitting in their cars, feeding off Macca's Wi-Fi. those big lines at the bank, and those Thursday mornings, where I see lines and lines of people at the front of Centrelink, trying to feed their family. Hi, I'm Riley, and today I'm exploring the cost of the cost of living.
2: You know, everything has just slowly and slowly just risen in price, but what we're earning isn't nearly enough to afford to be able to do anything.
1: Young people have caught the brunt of the cost of living crisis in Sydney, with many uni students pulling out and not being able to afford to complete their studies.
2: It's really hard to do. Anything, you see so your friends, go out, you're just practically working to live and go on a uni, and that's it.
1: We've all been there, going paycheck to paycheck to pay for fuel. With prices that have skyrocketed in the last 24 months, fuel prices are now over $2 a litre in Sydney, showing the extent of inflation that normal everyday people have to deal with.
2: So, like, utilities that I'm paying for is petrol, obviously, to drive. And I live in the Blue Mountains, so I'm driving all the way to Sydney. And it's quite a lot of money, including tolls as well. So I'm spending at least $100 a day just to get to uni. Which, I know it's working towards a career, but at the moment, it's not paying for anything. Yeah, and then I'm also paying to get to work. I'm paying for my degree, which is a lot of money. And, yeah, just, like, day-to-day things, food... You know, food has gotten really expensive, so to pay for anything is really hard. And then if you want to do anything with your life on the weekends, that's also an extra cost on top. But at the moment, for me, I've been choosing not to go out of the house.
1: With an inability to save, young people are now having to abandon their living arrangements, with many moving back in with their parents or leaving their on-campus living arrangements because of their financial situation?
2: Saving money as a uni student isn't really a, a thing, unless you have, I guess, parents to back you up or support you. At the moment, I was living at a home. I had to move back home um, because of the cost of living. I'm having to do a, an internship, which is practically full-time work. Um, so it's five days a week, full-time hours, and it's in the city. So I'm driving there, driving back, costing, yeah, about $100 a day, working for free, and then also needing money to afford to do that as well. So I'm doing all of this work to get this degree, but then on the weekends I've also got to do extra work to actually be afford to do anything, let alone to do my internship.
1: We're definitely going to see impacts on our future generation. What type of opportunities will they miss out on if their parents can't buy a house, can't get educated um will the middle class completely disappear and it'll just be a rich and poor society is that where we're headed as a community what are the future impacts of our issues in today's society on the future of the world
2: i'm guessing like the impact that this will have on the next generation um will just be they're not going to have the same opportunities that we will like it's hard enough people in our generation to either look for houses that are somewhat in their budget and I'm just assuming that it's just going to get worse like houses are hitting you know the 750 to a million mark what's going to happen in in you know 10 years everything's going to be that unaffordable everyone's just going to be renting or living on the streets like it's just it's going to be crazy and you know no one's going to be able to pay for school it's hard enough to pay for school now so I can't imagine anyone will be able to do it in the future. I think it's just going to impact everyone's mental health. You know, life is going to be harder at the moment. What I'm doing is hard enough and it's impacting my mental health. can't imagine what it's going to do to the future generations. Yes, we are taking more interest in people's mental health and making sure that there's, you know, people there to look after those people. But I think, yes, we're taking notice of it, but we're not putting effort in to try and help younger people with it I just think it's just it's obviously going to get more costly because you know everyone has to earn their way and if anything homelessness is surging 150,000 people are without homes and that's only that's only now imagine what it's going to be like in the future it's it's just going to be going to be hectic it's going to be crazy so I don't really think the next generation is going to be able to be supported unless we step up and and, and fix fix something the future of the country I, I i really think that it's just going to get busier um yeah australia keeps on developing further into a third world country if anything i i think we make ourselves out to be a first world country and yes we do live in in a beautiful place but we if anything you look at our lives and it just seems like it's going downhill
1: This episode was written and edited by Riley Burt. Soundtrack was royalty-free by the BBC.
0: Have you ever tried to fit in so badly that you've made some questionable choices? Up next, we hear from Nico Bruni on the unexpected sacrifices that he made as a young queer trying to fit in with his heterosexual classmates.
3: Content warning. The following podcast feature contains derogatory, homophobic and explicit language. As a queer boy who grew up in Western Sydney and was bullied at school, how far would you have gone to fit in with that crowd? What would you have sacrificed? I present to you a little story about a time I was so desperate to fit in that I would have done anything to impress the boys and let's just say it didn't work out so great. My schooling life wasn't always easy. I was a dancer and I was very effeminate. The combination of these two things made growing up in the rough suburbia of western Sydney aka da area scary as fuck. <laughs> I never had any male friends and after years of bullying I'd eventually had enough I thought a change of scenery was in order so in my senior years I auditioned to be in the dance program at a new school a sporting high school because that was a good idea in my first few months settling in the only difference I noticed about this school was that they preferred the word fag to poof and that cricketers were really good at pegging apples at me from across the playing field.
4: Oi, back! <laughs>
3: at this point, I was desperate, and I'd do anything to fit in. So I stopped using my mum's go-fresh pomegranate deodorant and went and got myself Lynx Africa. <coughs> it was time to change everything about me. Now that I smelt like a mad cunt, It was time to start talking like one too. Oh my god, bro, how are you? What's happening, cuz? I mastered my role, and it actually started working. I still remember one of the first moments I felt acknowledged for my stellar performance as a bro. A guy came up to me, looked straight at me, and said, Hey, Nick, bro, do you smoke? This was my in. Yeah, bro, I I smoke. But I didn't.
1: Well don't go maf's then cuz, come to the alleyway with the boys, I've got a fish deck.
3: I was shit scared, but I obliged. <laughs>
1: <coughs> <coughs> oh, bro, you reckons you smoked before cuz.
3: <laughs> How is the butt, do you like
1: it? <laughs> yeah
3: man, <coughs> yeah it's mad. <coughs> One of the boys in this group eventually became my best mate. He was also in the dance program. Let's call him Michael. And he acted as a guide for... How to maintain your status as a bro without getting bashed for being in the dance program for dummies. Bro, when those cunts call you a fag, you've got to defend yourself. I took every bit of advice he gave me as straight religion. Like three-in-one shampoo is not really three-in-one. It's five-in-one. Champ, condition, body wash, foreskin, and lube. One day, Michael and I were sitting with two of the girls in our ensemble and got on the topic of body hair removal.
5: Bro,
1: you gotta start with scissors. Get the hair short, then go razor.
3: As a Southern Italian boy, I had enough hair on my body that I could have been cast in Teen Wolf. What a hairy cunt! Bruh, what is this, Planet of the Apes? Fast forward to the 25th of April 2010. I'm dancing in the shower, and when I finish, I shake all the water off of my body hair, like a dog. I step out of the shower, and I see them. The pair of kitchen scissors sitting on the vanity. I still to this day don't understand why there were kitchen scissors in the bathroom, but some things in an Italian household we should never question. Nevertheless, in that moment, it hit me. That seed that was planted a few weeks earlier had grown into a bush, and that bush needed trimming. I dry my body, focusing mainly on my genital region. I wanted to get the hair nice and fluffy and statically standing on end for the big chop. I walk over to the toilet and I straddle the bowl like I know exactly what I'm doing. Don't call my name, don't call my name, Alejandro. Oh, yeah, I am so one of the boys trimming my pubes while singing Lady Gaga. Don't want to kiss, don't want to touch, just want my cigarette. (gasps) (gasps) Staring back at me from the toilet seat, a chunk of nutsack skin. Clutching toilet paper against my crotch, I grab my phone and in the moment of panic, the first person I call is Michael. the? Motherfucker, how you doing, Kat? Uh, Um, hey man. Um, I'm kinda of freaking out. I um I had an accident. What's going on, Brian? Um, you no, nah, um I was trying I was trying to um I was uh I was um Bro, what happened? Remember how you were talking about um, shaving at regional festival and you said use scissors? Well, I cut myself. Um, I, I cut my nuts and I'm bleeding. Uh, I think I should go to the doctor. Where are you right now? Can you like pick me up, please?
1: <laughs> what the fuck? Seriously, cuz. Five minutes ago,
0: literally I was driving past your house, I would have picked you up. Oh. I'm
1: practically home now. Okay. Such
3: um, kind of... Okay. <laughs> I hung up on his laughter, thankful for my new found male support system. Okay, so I'm still in the bathroom watching my future gay babies drain from my sack and trying to think of some sort of solution. That's a critical brain power. I grab the kitchen scissors and run to my bedroom with half a roll of toilet paper pushed up against my nuts. I open my undie drawer and I pull out a pair of boxer briefs. I cut the elastic and I snip off the sides until all that was left was the ball cuppy part with long strands either side. I fed one part of the excess material through my arse cheeks, tying the other side of it at my hip. Yes, I had made myself a makeshift ball sling. Then I sit on the lounge with my legs apart in a very filled out pair of school shorts, waiting for my mum to come home. It was like wearing an adult sized nappy, except my balls were stinging to the high heavens. Mom takes one look at me.
4: You look funny, what's wrong?
3: I cut myself.
4: Okay, where?
3: Do I have to tell you? I simultaneously eye roll and gesture to my pubic region. Huh? She looks like she's seen the Pope's ghost, but she takes me to the doctors where I'm told to drop my pants and explain. Ah, huh. okay. I remember the doctor looking at me with his head cocked, excuse the pun, sideways, and asking the one-word question. Why? I just shrugged and laid down on the bed while he popped on his gloves. He brings over a little eyedropper-like tube with clear liquid in it. Am I going to need stitches? Kind of. This is like liquid stitches. This is gonna sting a bit. I walk out of that doctor's office with a giant adhesive patch over the two sections of ball sack that he literally super glued back together. I thought the worst was over, but when I wake up the next morning, something feels a little odd. I throw the covers off me and a section of my undies were red. The entire adhesive patch had filled with blood.
4: MUM!
3: No school, and back to the doctors we went. This time, we saw a nurse.
5: Uh, Nicola Bruni? Bruni. Oh! I was looking for a girl! (laughs) Come on in, love!
3: The second I pull my pants down, she says at the top of her voice,
5: Ugh! What's he done?
3: referring to the doctor's imbecility, of course.
5: Oh, honey, I'm sorry, but this adhesive patch is gonna have to come right off.
3: To this day, you can still see the fingernail marks I left behind in the plywood, trying not to scream with every rip.
5: No! Kelly Clarkson!
3: Tears streamed down my face, but in the end, I got what I wanted, a hairless and silky smooth set of baubles. She stitches me up and I waddle out of that nurse's room without making eye contact with anybody. The next day at school, the boys see me approaching.
5: Oi, Nick, where the fuck you been, cuz?
3: Come sit with us. And there it was. The invitation that I had been waiting for. I walk over to the silver seat and begin to bend my knees, but then I felt the stitches separate. Bro, what the fuck are you doing?
1: Sit the fuck down, are you fucked in the
3: head? I stand back up, pain with pain, in both my nuts and my heart, and say, I, I can't sit with you. So, how far would you go to be able to sit with the boys? What would you have sacrificed? Personally, I'd give my left nut. This podcast was written and produced by yours truly, Nico Bruni. It was originally developed for Maeve Marsden's Queer Stories in collaboration with Western Sydney University. I'd like to give a special thanks to the following people. Sub-editors, Pippa Ellams and Maeve Marsden. My teachers, Tegan Nichols and Roger Dawkins. And the actors, Daniel Donaghy, Pippa Ellams and Katerina Bruni, my mum. All sound effects and soundtracks have been taken from Epidemic Sound and our creative commons.
0: In our final story, Chris interviews friends and reflects upon his life as part of a quest to find spiritual solitude.
6: Life, death, the soul, the spirit... All of these intangibles have been weighing on me and on my heart for as long as I can recall. What's the right way forward? Is there a proper way to get through life? How can I feed my soul and feel fulfilled if I spend my time spinning my wheels and coasting through life?
5: I have not been to church, I think now for five years.
6: That voice you just heard is Kel, my close friend and mentor and my first step toward finding spiritual solitude. Is that something that you regret in any way?
5: Not, not at all. I don't regret and I don't really miss that space. It makes me wonder why I was going in the first place, I think.
6: Your experience is very unique in that you had, I don't want to guess a number, but I'm thinking 20-ish years, at least in the church.
5: I mean, I didn't really grow up going to the, well, I went I went to church, but I wouldn't say it was a Christian household. Um, but then from like my high school years until I left, yeah, probably about 20 years. So that formed every part of my existence, I think, and understanding. I don't even know what I mean by spirituality. Now. Yeah. Like all, I feel like all of humans have this like connection to a larger purpose. And maybe that's all I can say it, it is yeah. because I'm like... I had for so long this one track, this is what I think it is and I'm sure this is the right way and the right answers and I could list off things. Now I'm like, what is spirituality? Uh, this vague, this maybe? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I think for me it's more like connection. Some people find it in religion in, in lots of forms. Some people find it in sport. like It's like that passion, connection to something bigger. Um, I think I am leaning more to finding it in connection to environment. Um, more than, and I think I've always had that a little bit, like I love animals and stuff and watching that and seeing, seeing nature fit into the, the big picture of what it just does without as much human interference. Mm. And so just watching that and being away from like city buildings work into wide spaces. That's a spiritual, it, it makes me feel better. My most spiritual moment, um, was sitting at a waterhole one night in like in the darkness um lit with uh the red lighting so that the animals just come in and we are very close and there's no fence and everyone there's a bunch of people you're sitting there it's dead quiet in the still of the night and probably about 10 people um and then this whole herd of elephants just comes and they're all like a families and babies like babies and stuff drinking there didn't maybe they knew we were there maybe they didn't but they didn't seem to care and they've got that deep rumbling communication and it was like i was like tearing up like this is like an amazing moment and just like the beautiful starry sky. And I'm like, this is like the best connection to nature, people like together and just, oh man, it was great. And I go, I think that's, I would describe that as spiritual in that moment. And I think that's probably the most spiritual, but I don't even necessarily know what I mean. A- and I love that yeah. though, because that's...
6: My next guest is Eden. He's been a close friend of mine for about a decade now, and he's been involved with the church his entire life. But the grasping of spirituality that he presented was shocking and surprising to me. And it challenged my entire perspective on a man that I've mistakenly thought I knew everything about. Something that I find
4: is quite a spiritual practice, although it has nothing to do with like religion or what you'd associate spiritually. Um, and that's reflecting on and meditating on your smallness in particular like your life and your death and for me i think people do this a lot in the terms of like putting up a a board on their wall of all the goals that they want to achieve in their life i mean that's that's quite a spiritual thing because you're, you're like seeing your life and going oh what do i want to give it to there's one practice that i I think is just fantastic, but a little scary in that if you were to like cover your wall in post-it notes, one for every month um, of life span that you had remaining, if you lived the average of 83 years or whatever it is now, I think it's average of 81. Um, and so for you, Chris, you've just turned 25, you've got 56 years and then you separate that 56 years out into months. And then you stick those 672 post-it notes up on your wall and you take one off every month. Mm. And during that process, you reflect, you look up at the wall and you see your life dwindling away and you wonder whether or not I gave it to the right thing. Yeah, wow. For me, that's a spiritual
6: practice. That's no, that's great. For me, I think there are contributors to spiritual health, right? Mm. Um for everyone I think that looks different. I actually almost 100% agree with the whole giving yourself to something mm. ideology. I, I don't subscribe to the idea that it's kind of a, a be-all end-all situation. I don't ascribe it to something similar to religion necessarily. But I do find that faith and spirituality have a lot of overlap, right? Mm. So I do something because I have faith in it. Or, I do something because I want to have faith in it. Eden then said something that struck a particularly sensitive nerve for me. I would caution that when you commit to something,
4: you can commit to the wrong thing. Yeah. And people have done that throughout history.
6: What he said caught me off guard, made me think about my life. Am I dedicated to the right things? To the right people, even? I think that's something only I can discover for myself. And I encourage you to do the same. Learn and grow and become the person you're meant to be. And I promise I'll do the same while you're at it. This episode of the Heart and Soul podcast was written, produced, and edited by Chris Mallis, with the voices of Eden Conway and Kelly Selwood. Music provided by Epidemic Sound and sound effects provided by BBC Sound, both under Creative Commons licenses.
0: These stories were produced by students for the subject Pitch Podcasting Essentials at Western Sydney University. With special thanks to Tegan Nichols for being the tutor in 2023. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and ACCC on Arande and Waramungu lands. The All The Best editorial manager is Mel Chun and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madura Prakash. Thanks for listening.